I think I may have annoyed some of my Twitter followers last night when I disclosed I hadn't heard the song of the year from last night's Grammys. It's of course possible I came in contact with Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic, but it wasn't enough to leave an impression. And by impression, I'm not talking about the pseudo statistics pumped out by Twitter and Instagram. By impression, I mean the encounter did not rise to the level of cognitive recognition that this song exists. The same thing happened when I went to an Oscars viewing party a few weeks ago. It was hosted by my friends Mike Spreeder and Keaton Ventura. Only one of the 10 guests had heard the Disney Bruno song. I know what a selection effect is. And I also know that my friends aren't quote unquote normal, whatever that means. But normal people are tuning out too. The Grammys and the Oscars didn't have rock bottom ratings this year, but only barely. Something like 3% of Americans tuned into the Grammys last night. It's hard to care about an award show celebrating movies you've never seen and music you've never heard. So I invited Keaton and Mike to come on the podcast and talk about the state of movies in 2022. What we still love about them, why we still care about them, and what the future might hold. It's not necessarily a problem, but but in my mind, I think of kind of streaming as separate from TV and movies. Although obviously this year, Coda won and that was an, an Apple production. Um, But the experience of like watching a streaming movie is very different. Like I was kind of bummed that I didn't actually go see Dune in a theater Mm -hmm. because I just watching it on a tiny laptop screen, it feels like big waste. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm always kind of amazed the extent to which people think that and no one is more ready to say this than film industry people, ironically, like the extent to which movies and streaming overlap in their minds i think some of it has to do with the way that the platforms look and kind of deliberately obscure what's what but to Mm me i'm always super aware watching something like is this a netflix original or or was this first in theaters like where did this come from maybe Mm -hmm. that's just like nerd obsessive imdb knowledge Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah i think it's interesting i mean it and once you have that kind of perspective on things it's like funny to kind of look at at things as having the patina of either like theatrical or streaming and think about Mm -hmm. what's good or bad about both of those things yeah yeah no i mean i i like streaming but you know i mean you guys are such movie buffs that you see a lot of movies i i do not see a lot of movies i think i saw maybe three this year I went to House of Gucci with Keaton where we got COVID. Um, (laughs) I saw the James Bond film. And then I saw, oh, well, I guess this isn't this year. I went to see the Batman at the drive-in. I think maybe I only went to two movies this year. Essentials. (laughs) (laughs) But I I kind of, I remember when MoviePass was a thing, you guys were really shocked that I was seeing so many movies. That were that really was shocking. I think that kind but of it's it's not that I don't like to go. It's that I don't like to spend eighteen dollars. Right, right. But, you, no, but you like to spend even. $18. I mean, I will spend. I'll spend eighteen dollars on a cocktail, but something it just feels like so overpriced, you know. And then with Movie Pass, it, it became a thing where just like I don't know, you know, 
I live in LA. It's it's like a boring Friday, and you and your friends are like, oh, let's just go see a movie on Movie Pass, you know? Yeah. And it became very like organic. Or even I used to go see movies sometimes before commuting back from the west side to the east side because I was like, oh, traffic's too bad. I'm gonna go to like <laughs> the movie plex across the street and watch a movie and then go home. Um, and Movie Pass kind of made that decision easy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think probably they just were undercharging for it. There's there's definitely like some room, I think, in the market for uh, some offering. I know it's coming back with like the eyeball tracking software and stuff and probably at a higher price point. But <clears throat> yeah, I feel like there must be some middle ground between like the big the big like problem with it was that the people who made it thought that people weren't seeing movies because they didn't have enough time when the problem was that people thought movies were too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's true. I mean, I'd pay $18 for a cocktail, but not for a movie. It could definitely be a thing stone. Like if, if movies were still $4, like when I was growing up, I would see so many movies. for that. Um, I think there's a, Mike and I kind of have a qualm with, these like subscription services. I mean, they're great. Like we're both on AMC A list right now, which is like like a monthly subscription cost is like less than Batman and IMAX would cost right now. Um, But one of the things that we found that it took away is kind of like um, the ceremonious ritual of like going to a box office window and like saying a movie's name out loud and like, having to worry about whether you're going to get a seat and like, you know, just like the serendipity of like going to the movie plex. Whereas now it's just kind of like, you can slip in like it's any old bar and like it almost. Yeah, I agree. You know, like I really hate like when you have to pick seats. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been agitating against that forever. I mean, it just feels like it feels like you're going on a plane or something. Like I don't like it. Right. I like what you said earlier about like, um, seeing a movie on the west side so that you can pro, uh, forestall your commute back to the <laughs> like that's to me the most magical kind of window to see mm-hmm. a movie in like my now that I have a um, kind of pretty regulated nine to five ish work day like my favorite time that I ever see a movie is when I feel like I'm I'm stealing time like yeah noon or something um, I mean it feels amazing and I feel like we as movie going has been kind of condensed down to this thing that we've all been talking about of it's it's a friday saturday night activity that revolves solely around marquee like marvel mm-hmm. high budget thing mm-hmm. yeah turns more and more into something that lacks like sp- that spontaneity and the aloneness that you have and and kind of choosing to go see a movie at an odd time yeah it's like yeah I I wonder I haven't seen any like research on it but I just even from the way that like film and tv present movie going in the past it feels like it used to be something that people did alone more often and was more spontaneous yeah um and and now it feels very programmatic and I think that's even part of why I end up not seeing movies that frequently is just because like it's it feels like a chore to try and plan it and coordinate with people and pick a showtime. And I don't know. I think the movie pass thing just kind of it felt very fluid and you didn't think about it because you weren't like, hmm, I'm doing this thing with my friends. Like, should I should I spend 
like 30 bucks going to the movies or should I, should we get food? Should we get drinks? You know, 30 bucks is kind of a lot of, it's not that much money, but you can do a lot of things with that. Yeah. But with, with movie pass, it was kind of like a sunk cost already. So you're like, yeah, sure. Let's just do that. That's cool. That sounds fun. Um, and I, I think it really did bring some spontaneity back to movie going. So I, I hope when it comes back, it maybe achieves some of that again, you know? Like, I, I think some people got really crazy with it and we're seeing like, <laughs> like 30 movies a month. Yeah, and movie watching pass. them over and over again. I, I don't think I'll do that, but but I wouldn't mind going to the movies four times a month. I have time to do that. Right. I mean, if we all have time to sit on our couches every evening, we have time to go. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, that's kind of the funny thing about me not going to the movies. It's not that I don't love watching movies or love watching TV. I do, I watch a lot of TV and a lot of movies. I just watch them almost entirely at home. Right. Um, movie think- brought back a kind of like, like hucksterism or like prop, like, uh, I don't know, like problem solving in people because there were so many glitches in the app that the ways we're finding to take advantage of it were like, like I heard, we heard stories about a friend of ours, um, like basically in the early days of the app, what it would do is you would check into a a geotagged screening and it would just unlock $15 to be spent wherever on your card. (laughs) <laughs> you could check into a screening but then spend the $15 elsewhere um, you could go to Starbucks at the mall instead I don't, know, I don't know that people were going to bars but like people would check into screenings in the app and then spend the $15 at a nearby theater that wasn't listed on MoviePass which is oh interesting right or I mean or- I kind of like that though because that's that's kind of like this classic childhood thing of like sneaking into another movie. No, it's right. super it, fun. It inspires like a creativity and like movie going. Yeah, and I that's I I want less. I want movies to feel less like um, airlines and more like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like well, stuff like, you did when you were a naughty little kid millennials are obsessed with like playing with tiny amounts of money like it's like it's like venmo yeah love sending ten dollars back and forth to each other and what what were your guys's favorite movies this year because obviously i i failed at being a moviegoer this year but i know you guys still caught up with everything mm-hmm. by this year you mean 2021 Yes. All right. Yeah. Let's let's do it annual. I mean, it's this year hasn't been long enough to really evaluate, but but last year rather. We could go as far back as 2020. Just, <laughs> okay. Sure. Well. Yeah. We'll 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 do a, a we'll do a, a imaginary COVID <laughs> time warp. <laughs> All one year. Yeah. Um. I'll let Keaton go with that. Well, going back to 2020, I think Mike and I are like. We are unexpected fans of Nomadland, which is like interesting in a really long time that we agreed with the Oscars. But there's kind of like it um, had it come out any other time in our lives. I'm not sure if we would have it would have felt as special. But like there was something about like so 2019 was kind of felt like the end of the blockbuster where like all of Disney's like yeah <laughs> were like released which is like the lion king the last avengers like um toy story 4 frozen 2 um and so 2020 already kind of felt like it was a uh 
kind of like a limbo or transitionary period. And then like movies kind of stopped coming out altogether and movie theaters closed. And Nomadland kind of felt like it represented that limbo period or that nothingness. Um, and there's even, there's a shot in Nomadland where like Francis McDormand is like pacing beneath a marquee with the Avengers like displayed on it. <laughs> um, cool. At which point in the movie you find out that it's like actually set in 2012. Um, oh, wow it's been going on so long keaton said something really beautiful about nomadland which was just that like it feels like she's location scouting for a blockbuster on some level right. she's driving around in this van looking at um landscapes that are like begging to be kind of filled with cgi bullshit mm -hmm. um and yeah there's just something about like the, the the fact that Nomadland played in IMAX theaters at a time when there was studios had had halted all other content that would have otherwise been flowing into IMAX, like mm -hmm. it felt so right for that moment, especially because it was a film directed by a relatively new director who has a very um, kind of personal aesthetic, but one that's like the studios are quickly trying to kind of like gobble up. Mm -hmm. um, like it just felt like the very necessary kind of like, uh, I don't know, like after effect of the Avengers here. Right, right. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I have to say, I hate the fucking Marvel movies and stuff. <laughs> I just find them so boring. Do you remember when we went to see Black Panther, Mike, and I fell asleep during the final scene and started snoring? This is true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll go, like, if it's might me, I'll go see them. It's like a fun thing to do with friends and maybe, like, get stoned or take shrooms or something, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay to see a Marvel movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fair. We, I mean. I like that raccoon, though. From Guardians of the Galaxy. Forever. Yeah, I like him. He's my favorite. Yeah. Him and Groot or whatever. Those those were good characters. Everyone loves uh, a wisecracking anthropomorphic like buddy. I yeah. remember I remember it was playing when we were at we were at like John Raffman's birthday party like many moons ago at the the Russian baths and like Wall Street. And it was in like the smoking room. And I was like, what is this crazy movie with the, this talking tree and this raccoon? <laughs> <laughs> right there's some ever since then i've liked them because they it was one of the only times i've been like shocked and confused by uh, a piece of content yeah um what um, else is good though is that it <laughs> nomadland's it nomadland's important it's like an important intermission between whatever periods we're in but last year 2021 you like some movies, Mike. <laughs> I like how you guys are struggling. <laughs> I like some movies, thank you. Um, I was a I was a fan of Licorice Pizza. Oh, that's um, the one I regret not seeing. It's probably yeah. still playing somewhere though. Yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, um, I um there was a a film called The Souvenir Part Two that I liked a lot. Um, starring. Uh, Tilda Swinton's 
daughter who plays a fictionalized version of the director. Um, it, you know, it's like, it's kind of of a piece with licorice pizza. They're both like, you know, blatantly nostalgic um, reflections of a director thinking about, you know, a, a past decade and mm-hmm. in, in American and British like cultural history, I guess. Um, we liked things about Malignant, mm. I, th- I would say. I don't um, even know what that is. So That's for James Wan's new horror film. Yeah, directed by okay. a, someone that we love, James Wan. Um, it has a really balls out crazy last act that um, really set gay Twitter on fire. Um, mm-hmm. like, you like Jim Henson, right, Sean? Yeah. It's got a real Jim Henson element that yeah. pops in at the end, surprisingly. Yeah, th- this is someone that Keaton went out of his way to nominate for the Best Supporting Actress category at the Film Fun Awards and uh, that I would have totally forgotten. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Um, kind of a non-human performance. Um, yeah. That movie I, has some good stuff. I, I think the best thing that came out of last year was actually this needless to say like Nicole Kidman's like AMC we make movies better campaign mm-hmm. like, really like Mike and I went to go see the Batman um in a crowded Dol- crowded Dolby theater the other day and like mm-hmm. um you could tell people were kind of like getting revved up there was some like soft cheers and when yeah, the, I, I like the Batman, even though it was three hours oh, long. I right. thought it moved like a, a movie that wasn't three hours long, you know. Before we talk about the Batman, <laughs> it was preceded by the AMC We Make Movies Better advertisement or whatever. And people just like started roaring and cheering and like speaking the dialogue back to the screen. And it just, it felt like, oh, this is like something that we are all celebrating and like, yeah, um, taking away from the movies. Um, that's almost reminiscent of, yeah, you know, there's, I mean, there's something about Nicole Kidman's celebrity that like is evergreen, but I guess Mm -hmm. it really hit its stride again in the last five years and this I mean it's like the most spot-on branding we've seen in about movies in forever yeah um yeah no I I don't know you know during COVID I watched a lot of old movies and I guess some of that's kind of research and also I was just in this mood where I was like are you talking about like confessions of a shopaholic or Casablanca like confessions of a shopaholic (laughs) <laughs> I was mostly watching movies from like 1999 through like maybe 2003. Uh-huh. Like real peak, like turn of the century Americana movies, you know? Yeah. Well, like, is- like I rewatched American Beauty, which is, I, I used to watch that, I don't know, like when me and Keaton were little kids. <laughs> I feel like we watched it so much. I owned it on DVD. Yeah. And it was just crazy because I, you know, you turn it on and I could just remember all the dialogue. Yeah. Because the dialogue is so iconic. Um, and I remember dialogue that I wouldn't have been able to recall without like actually like, you know, re-entering that space. Yeah. And I went like watch Donnie Darko and Southland Tales, but also like the Charlie's Angels reboot with like uh, Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu. 
and well, like get over it like a lot of like really like kind of yeah you're candy pop uh movies that just had this real like energy and excitement about them um and they felt like very high gloss and it was it felt like a, I think part of it was me being like, how did America get to feel like such a shitty place? And then you put on these old movies and you're like, oh my God, I remember when America felt like that. And part of it's being young, but it's also part of like a, a pretty like, until 9-11 kind of shifted things. Although I think people, as Keaton, you've commented on this, how like the entertainment industry kind of ignored it for a couple of years before yeah. like directly well, addressing well, actually the actually the first movie to acknowledge it explicitly in 2003. But Which movie? love actually you should know this oh yeah oh sorry yeah um yeah you love then, actually pilled me in high school i definitely almost well with the exception of like 9 11 and like what that cast over the industries like i almost single-handedly attribute the like bleak tone of movies to the dark night yeah um, which you know I kind of I kind of wonder if that is part of the film industry's problem generally. <laughs> like I feel like no one's made like a a mass drama or comedy or rom-com mm-hmm. that has that kind of like happy, high gloss, high energy feeling in a long time. Yeah, well at like least with Star. Sorry, something I complain about though a lot is like the use of the overuse of montage. I feel like um. there's way too much montage. And that's yeah. that's part of this like gloomy bleak strategies like montage and some like emotion like overly emotional music. <laughs> yeah, I think, but there's a difference to be made or a distinction to be made between like that what you're saying and then like kind of like uh, goofiness because like I think Disney is trying to like get goofier with like um, like Guardians of the Galaxy and like the new Thor movies and. But these uh, are all children's but movies. Yeah, it's but like about kind of, people who are are ten and up. Yeah, you're like, what about but, people who can watch R-rated content, like eleven? <laughs> I just, I just mean like, or something like a movie like The Sweetest Thing is a very goofy movie. Just, you know, like I mean, Selma oh, Blair gets like a cock ring stuck behind her tonsils, yeah. <laughs> and then everyone, which I forget which song they sang, was was it Tiny Dancer? We want goofy with the. No, they. I want goofy with with lure, with lewd sex jokes. Right. Um, well, what I was going to say is like the goofiness today is kind of seems like it's trying to like pull like expose what movies are and in this very like meta way, um, in that they're like critiquing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the you know the the sweetest thing is like upholds this like opaqueness that you know it still feels like a movie um it still feels not like real life yeah well it's like (laughs) it's like it starts with the story and comes outward which allows it to feel more true rather than having a kind of framework imposed on it yeah that's that's interesting because something i've been i mean this isn't quite this is like adjacent to movies but something i've been thinking about is like the way that people respond to euphoria where a lot mm-hmm. of the criticism is like, it's not realistic. That's not what teens. And I'm like, I don't care. It's a TV show. It's the, it's this is fantasy. I know yeah. that I know that like lower middle class kids in the valley don't have full a closet full of like Mew Mew looks. I know that's not reality, but I like it as entertainment. 
I don't know that they don't, but I would love to see all of these. <laughs> they have they have deep deep hop skills. <laughs> I love to see all these people on Twitter. Like, are they like in high schools, like recording things secretly, or? No, I don't know. I just think it's so. F- I, or they're like, oh, this is so gross. Like, people want to have see teens having sex, and it's like Alexa Demi is thirty one. Like, I mean, I'm just like, guys, this is this is like theater. This is like imagination. This is fiction. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, well, but 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 what? But the point I wanted to make to connect back what you were saying is that like, I feel like movies maybe are, or maybe the point you're making is that movies are too meta and they're not just embracing the form. Yeah, or they, or like the magic, or like, yeah, they feel like uncomfortable presenting or like not being true to life or trans. Yeah, I hate that. Or smart. Well, yeah, um, I hate that too. The irony is that like the truer to life they become, the less right true like, that they are. Enterable. Yeah, no, that's well, that's the whole thing about fiction, and that's why like one of the theater big- and TV and film are like so powerful, and people love them so much. One of the big elements of that that Keaton and I talk about all the time is just literally in terms of lighting, like um, the way there was this great viral tweet the other day about that showed Batman through the ages, like starting with the 60s TV show all the way Mm -hmm. through the new movie and just how dark the compositions have gotten. Yeah, well, this this one was really dark. There's this idea that like our naked eye like doesn't see things the way that movies used to look so we should keep adjusting it down but it's gotten so that like no one can see shit um yeah i i saw it at a drive-in which is kind of a lower contrast viewing experience mm -hmm. on top of how dark the movie was right and (laughs) and yeah me and me and my friend anna were both like "Hmm, maybe next time we'll see a different movie that was kind of hard to we're like squinting you know yeah, and I mean, like an annoying person behind you accidentally turns on their lights and you can't see anything then. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, this is such a it's like such a pedantic thing, but I think it's also like the the as theaters cut staff and like um, have less uh, like oversight on things and stuff like they replace the bulbs less frequently and the, the darkness like literally huh. is interesting it's like an overall kind of dimming like like he didn't always joke like they might as well just start showing it to us with the lights off because that's what it kind of feels like right well we also were joking regarding the batman like like they should just start writing in like 20 minutes of script into the movie that's like you that isn't essential to understanding what's going on that you can like doze off get up and pee or pee or like fall asleep because I feel like falling asleep especially because like the reclining chairs are like way too comfortable it's like it seems like they're inviting you to what if they just put intermissions back in movies I'm down with that I want to go have a cigarette in the middle I actually I was in Italy when I saw Avengers Infinity War and they they did split it up um, pretty abruptly with an intermission and I thought nice good for Italy incredible that's amazing did they did they have a title card like it was the theater's own title card it's i don't it said intermission in italian or something in italian yeah um, i I love how like disney would never approve there to be like an unauthorized font on the screen or something like that yeah Yeah, they they would rather sell sell, like disney branded (laughs) diapers (laughs) 
Disney branded catheters for while you watch their movies. Yes, we really. I, I'm sure, like a lot of. I mean, maybe not like a lot of people. I go back and forth on the recliners because sometimes (laughs) you've had a long day or whatever, and it just feels so amazing to be, you know, basically horizontal at the movies. But I, I think ultimately it's, it's another case of just like people accepting something in the short term that feels like it can get people into the theater that's ultimately just diminishing the experience. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I also feel like I started to see theaters that like let people bring their dogs with them. I don't like that. That's insane. Well, the thing about the- I think in LA, some of them are like, quote unquote, service animals. I mean, maybe some of them are real. Obviously, people have real disabilities and need an animal, that's fine. But but everyone knows a lot of the service animals are just like, you pay someone to give you a- a thing that lets you bring your dog on the plane with you and stuff. Like, and then I'm like, I don't, I don't want to take over your like Doberman Pinscher. Well, I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah. too much, too much. Well, the thing that the reclining seats do that I really don't like is it, depending on where you're sitting, it's like, it kind of feels like there aren't other people in the theater, even if it's packed, like it's, they're like wall dividers and there's like so much more space between you and the other people mm-hmm. and you just it just feels like you're back on your couch yeah um, which it's like I the mean, theater is trying to be become more like streaming instead of trying to distinguish like itself. yeah or lean into what's special about the, the theater or the cinema you know room people yeah I, I love that it's like the seat like your home would never have this uncomfortable of a seat in it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i i can totally imagine it getting even more, and again it's like stuff that makes it feel more like an airplane yeah i also wonder you like, know it's like, like it's like it feels like you're in business class and they're gonna start giving you like a a blanket wrapped in plastic and like a little pillow i feel like airplanes mm-hmm. they also sort of feel like restaurants in the way that like people people want there to be food there and the lighting is so like I feel like I I don't know how I feel about the Alamo draft house stuff Mm -hmm. I'm mixed I like it sometimes but it, it it also is a distraction yeah yeah, I mean, it depends on what food people are ordering because there's things on that menu that should not be eaten in the dark. Like what? Yeah. Like a, I remember we went to see something with Sophie and she was like, she saw the kale Caesar on the menu and was just like, <laughs> like the idea of like holding your hand out to like, like cup any dropped pieces of romaine lettuce. That <laughs> so disturbing. Little yeah. bits of sardine. Yeah. <laughs> But they're also yeah, like, I, I agree with that. <laughs> it's okay. Like it's like it's like getting spaghetti and meatballs <laughs> at like a showing of The Godfather or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's too garlic bread. It's yeah, it should be pretty like stuff. You it should be street food mostly. I think the cocktail the cocktails I like though. You know that's nice. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, easy. But yeah, the the food is. It's a special occasion thing. I think specialty theaters for it, but not everywhere is is the the way to go. Mm-hmm. The Alamo also does have some like great 
programming of like showing oh. late 90s and early 2000s. Oh yeah, I remember we went to see uh, Wild Things, like oh, the film print yeah. of it a couple yeah. of years ago. That was great. Not that too. I will say, so one thing you said a little earlier that relates to this, Sean, is like during COVID or 2020, like when movie theaters weren't open, you were revisiting a lot of like old movies and it kind of made me think uh i actually really enjoyed that period because it was so unprecedented and like got me thinking like okay well what's going to happen how are we going to you know get out of this and i started picturing like i was like what if movie theaters just became like museums and exclusively showed like old movies and like everything all new content was actually automatically available on streaming streaming platforms and like over time if people like grew to love it or like you know gained a cult following it would then appear in movie theaters um because i i i think about that wild thing screening at the alamo draft house and it's like and other screenings like that um like the Gili screening that mike and i put on at the roxy back in november it's like those are the screenings that i think people walk away from and it's like feels really special yeah, uh-huh. like we we all went to see Casablanca this New Year's at um right. Sorry, what what's the theater called? The Dryden. The Dryden. Yeah, and that was that was amazing too. I love that the, like with the curtain. Yeah, the cur- the pulling the curtain back is really important. Right. Yeah, uh, but but I this is kind of a general problem for culture right now, and it's kind of funny because I feel like. In the 2010s, everyone was like, culture's moving faster than ever, which I I kind of don't think that was true. Um, and now in the 2020s, you can feel people getting anxious about the this kind of return of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of a, I don't know, this it's always been a problem, you know, mm-hmm. in some ways. And digital technologies have ironically made it worse. Because now when you make a movie, you don't, you're not competing for like attention share with all the other movies that are showing. You're competing with like every other movie ever made. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that you can see specifically with, with new music, right? There were a bunch of articles about uh, like new music versus catalog, which I think the music industry defines as music more than 18 months old. So it's not all like necessarily that old, but it's not it's not that new in the way that like, I don't know, in the 90s, people were really listening to things as they came out, you know, and also and radio played a big part of that. And that like the radio was playing mostly music that was like new. And so now I think it's something like 70 percent of the music that people consume on like Apple Music and Spotify is catalog. Um, And I think movies kind of have a similar thing, although I don't think we have as as clear of a picture on the statistics because the streaming platforms are a bit more disaggregated, you know, because you have video on demand and you have things playing on TV and then you have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Apple plus and, uh, you know, HBO max and on and on and on. Um, but, but it does feel the same way in that, like, that's kind of part of the problem is that if you don't like movies right now, you can just not see any of them. Like if they're not really like, hanging with you like what's at the theater you can just go like hmm, maybe i'm gonna watch that movie i really liked when i was 13. Mm -hmm. 
Um, or even like that's kind of like the wild things experience too is like I remember going to see that in the theaters <laughs> when I was in like middle school. I think somehow I think somehow I talked my mom into letting me see wild things. I feel like that came out maybe when I was like eighth grade. Parents like relative permissiveness is um yeah interesting. Yeah. What? Wild Things was on the cusp for something that I would have been able I I saw my big thing was I saw Cruel Intentions in a theater with my mom in, in 99, which is the year after Wild Things came out. And right. that, that was kind of like broke the dam. Like after that, there was no point. In- no movie that she would try to keep you from. Yeah, I think mine was in 2000, a year later. I was, I really manipulated Bridget, my mom, into letting me see Scary Movie. <laughs> like, Talk about a goofy movie. Yeah, no, there, there are certain that. things that moms can't claw their way back from. Right. But <laughs> like the year, the year before. Once, she- once your tween child has seen a girl get stuck to the ceiling with a fountain of calm, what's the point of trying to keep them from seeing anything else? It's true. Thank, thank God for a scary movie. But, um, but yeah, it's to me, that's just kind of like a general cultural issue. And then, you know, I think we were talking before the podcast just about the other issue is just like everyone has to compete with so much more content now you know so it's not just old movies it's also like everything on youtube and everything all the television shows on streaming platforms and also instagram and twitter and podcasts and audiobooks and radio and you know it kind of goes on and on and on um so it feels like everyone is really duking it out but I, i think that's also kind of why you know, films are supposed to have mass audiences. Like, as I was saying earlier, like this, like high middle brow aesthetic being kind of like what, what I imagine, like when people were invested in the Oscars, like that was kind of what people really cared about that high middle brow, which was, which was like things like cruel intentions. That's definitely high middle brow or wild things. That's high middle brow, you know? Um, And, and now because people are like trying to fight against all these other things, it's kind of like, everyone's clustering in the middle that's why you get so many franchises because it's kind of like well some old people will go like some nerds will see it and people with kids will see it and and some like date people will go on dates to it because it's kind of like it's not it's not going to be a movie that you watch and it causes like an argument between you and your girlfriend or something um, about some controversial element it's all very very vanilla um but i think that's also kind of why film lately has felt a little boring because they're they're trying to be as mass as they can because they're they have to fight harder than ever against all these other things that people could be paying attention to right i mean one of the funny effects of i mean i think so much of this has to do with and this is like it's it's so boring to talk about because it's so like covered is is the uh like budget kind of um Mm -hmm split that's happened over time where like you just don't see movies made in that range of like 20 to 70 million dollars where like all of the things that we're talking about used to fall Mm -hmm. um like it's like things you know now it's like it's more common for like a prestige movie to be squeezed in the like sub 30 like maybe like you know maybe even like five to ten million dollar range or to see something that's like a hundred plus yeah then you know that's like for a million reasons but it also feels like 
we are always shocked looking back at Rotten Tomato scores for things that we like ha we had some uh, like feeling about whether it was like acclaimed or not acclaimed at the time and then seeing mm -hmm. like how divisive the reviews were compared to what we see happening for movies now like mm -hmm. like critics I think critics kind of know that like their jobs are in danger and that mm -hmm. movies generally are kind of fading in the culture so they they try to stay optimistic but there's just this like like any movie comes out now and gets like a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes and it just contributes to this feeling that like everything right. is kind of on a level playing field like no no one really has opinions about things like everything is kind of good maybe not yeah well, it's, uh, something on Rotten Tomatoes with like 99% could mean that all of those reviews are just like 5.5 .5 out of 10. Right. It's like, it's right. very... Well, we, we have a much, just beyond like film reviews, just in terms of any cultural discourse, it's kind of toxic right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like in the 90s, that was kind of part of the fun of seeing movies or the 2000s mm -hmm. was that you would go see it with your friends and then afterwards everyone would talk about what they liked and what they didn't like right and i don't i, think I, so. I feel like now that all happens on twitter and everyone is always having a nervous breakdown and like posting the like just let people like enjoy things meme or something which i think is so stupid yeah. no, well it's, it's also people get confused where like when i say like Ugh, i hate marvel movies um they're like, well, I like them. And I'm like, good for you. Go watch them. I don't care. I'm not trying to like ban Marvel movies. I just think they're boring. Um, <laughs> you know, people seem to not be able to like allow different tastes to coexist because it's kind of a, right. you know, everyone yeah. is trying to compete to like, no, this movie's definitely good. Um, well, and you're always like, there. it's always, there's always a meta conversation about like what that, taste then says about you and like I find myself doing this too like like someone will describe their reaction to watching something and then you're like kind of like triangulating okay what kind of person is this like before you actually sit with yeah I mean I'm I'm always surprised sometimes when when people like certain things that I didn't like but I I guess I just don't I don't take it so personally yeah when, I, when we disagree about like aesthetic taste I don't think that my seems mom like seems like there's other things that you could that could be like lines in the sand with your peers than if you like the same movies. I remember my after my parents got divorced, my mom started dating guys. This guy that she ended up remarrying um, was like the first person around our family who would come out of a of, out of a movie and immediately. Um, want everybody in the car to rate it and at the time it really like disturbed me like the the local film critic would rate things one to ten and you would say what does everyone think of this one to ten and I was mm -hmm. always not ready to like process a feeling that fast right but now it's like I feel like that would almost be helpful to establish some kind of it's like did anybody have a reaction to this right it's like it's like forcing someone to think on a scale again <laughs> yeah i mean i that's it's funny you bring up local critics though because i feel like that might be part of this kind of lost art too well, yeah well now local critics are just like local 
local critics are local and so far it's like it's a website that not that many people look at but yeah but but I don't know I feel like when we were upstate around Christmas we were looking at like the Democrat and Chronicles like top albums of the year or something and they had a couple of different contributors I found it really charming you know I I enjoyed it and I but I feel like it used to be kind of fun and sometimes the local critic it's it's not like a full-time job you know yeah maybe it's like Maybe it's like a kid who manages an indie, like an independent movie theater in your town. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that kind of stuff is also kind of what's missing because the aggregator sites feel very like, who the fuck knows, you know? There's right. a great Joan Didion essay about it and that the new collection, like posthumous collection of hers that, that got published um, where she talks about loving like, uh, like, like local like zines and newsletters and stuff basically like it's crazy that the internet isn't able to provide any of that feeling to anyone i mean i mean actually i'm gonna give you guys some career advice right here on the podcast (laughs) i should start a sub stack and review movies i would subscribe what's sub what's sub stack sean sub stack (laughs) <laughs> it's where this podcast is going to be <laughs> uploaded guys we, we love we love Substack. no but i i actually i i always i when my friends talk about stuff like this i'm like sometimes I'm like i think you should do it on Substack. i mean i've had a really good experience with it i don't so i don't want to be like such a shill but um yeah. but i feel like that is kind of like the kind of platform and and these are all pretty new you know i think Substack came out in maybe 2019 you know mm-hmm. so it's not that old um but it it does feel like these these newsletters and stuff are kind of like this placeholder for content that feels like a little bit more personal and but it's also not like right it's not like you guys trying to be film critics on twitter just failed endeavor you know what i mean right right well that's um because it's kind of hidden but the people who know about it can find out about it but yeah that's that's my advice to you i think you guys should should do it i i want to be a subscriber um yeah i i i do like to the point of twitter i feel like um that is unfortunately like how everybody that's like the rate at which everybody consumes like film content nowadays where it's like if you think back nostalgically again to like our childhood where like there'd be that period where like something left theaters and we'd have to like wait until it came out on video and maybe it wasn't until then that like a movie like got popular and then like it would you'd have to like wait until like your entire class saw it until you all got to like quote it and you'd like understand where the dialogue was coming from right um but now like things are like digested so rapidly that there's no time for that but also i think that um Another thing that come up that's also really obvious is like this the like cinematic universe trend that like you don't just go see one Marvel movie and like that's it. It's like you go I feel like people go see Marvel movies to like fill in another piece of this very large implied hole. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a giant puzzle. So it's more like people are going to the movies to like get information. Right. Um, which I feel like is, you know, it's it's not very inspiring to me. Yeah, but. and, and Oscar's mo- Oscar movies, like to 
bring it back to that are obviously their own kind of information. It's like, there's always been information that kind of um, like audience uh, like schism around things, but it, it feels more kind of pronounced than ever. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I remember I don't know, talking to Keaton about this is funny because I mean, we, we met Mike in our twenties, but me and Keaton have known each other since we were eight. And I just have these memories of like being in Geneva and it's like a summer afternoon and like you call your friends on like the landline phone and you want to see a movie yeah. and then you're like oh well let's call movie phone <laughs> like remember movie <laughs> phone yeah and you di- and then you dial in and then like you hear what's showing and the showtimes it's so charming you know I used to call the, the there's a there's a great theater in Rochester which is um the, like half an hour from where Keaton and Sean grew up um, called the Pittsburgh Plaza Cinema. And I used to call their line and just listen to the employee read the showtimes for what was playing that week. And then he would do like sneak peeks for the next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was amazing That's... to have it like all laid out over the phone. Yeah, I do. I was actually thinking about Geneva, New York recently, Sean. That yeah. I, and not, not to like continue to, go back to the past but I feel like it's important to like emphasize the contrast but it's like I remember like waiting in line to go see like the new Ace Ventura movie or something with Paul Spallbone when- <laughs> oh we're going names <laughs> level yeah well you know it's, anyways yeah go on. Classmate. he is like a you know your average eight-year-old boy <laughs> uh, maybe like maybe seven but like we were waiting in line and looking at the posters and I remember like this like my seven-year-old friend turns to me and goes like um he's like looking at the Romeo and Juliet Boz Lerman poster and he's like oh I really want to see that but I hear it's all in old English and, like, <laughs> and I'm just like like I'm not kidding like I'm just like what were these what kind of conversation is that between two seven-year-olds like it's kind of <laughs> amazing an amazing one that's what kind and we weren't like raised in like families of like you know artists or like yeah film people it's like we were this is a small town in upstate new york and it's i just like i don't know it's really funny to imagine like two seven-year-olds today like talking about movies with that type of granularity or awareness mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's there's something about i mean one thing about twitter because i mean i I'm addicted to Twitter. I like it. I'm always trying to use it less. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, people tend to forget that like, I think only one in five Americans, the stat might have gone up, but only about one in five Americans have a Twitter account. And then of that, like only 10% of people make 90% of the content. So it's like everyone acts, I, I wrote about this recently, but it's like this false picture of reality. I actually thought it was even less people using it than that. So that's like, well, twenty percent have an account. I don't know how many people are right. daily users. Um, I would have to like dig back in, and and that's kind of a stat that I've known for a while. So it might have changed. I mean, it almost certainly changed, but it's still like a very very small number of people mm-hmm. create this false perception that this is the public conversation, right? And then at the same time, I feel like Twitter is kind of the cart leading the horse oftentimes for other media verticals yeah where the, where, you know like people cover 
what is ha- what people are saying on Twitter, which is kind of deranged when you think about it. It's like two percent of the population is saying this, and then everyone writes articles about it. Um, it's, not, it's a crazy state of affairs when you stop and think about what that actually means. Um, well, but I mean, it, it also like you know me me and Jordan Richmond have been talking about like cringe and its relationship to both fashion but also media because we're talking about goofiness and like that's definitely the appeal of something like Emily in Paris again like back to streaming kind of I think mm-hmm. giving me what giving me what I want um and Twitter especially just feels like because of how the internet is optimized for, to either promote cringe or outrage you know it's yeah. it's optimized to basically um hack into something in your lizard brain that's that maybe once upon a time was an evolutionary advantage but now is probably a disadvantage like sugar or something where like in the past you know you'd like to eat sugar because you didn't get a lot and now we're surrounded by sugar and we eat way too much and our brains have caught up with our new environment similarly like twitter is like people say stuff to make each other mad or to make each other confused that's what i think cringe is cringe is something where people are kind of like wait what and they're like Kind, kind of like scoping in to try and figure out what's going on because it's like too silly or too goofy or mm-hmm. too badly made or something like that. But both of those things, while I guess just dominant kind of content plays, I don't know that that is like what people want. I think it's like what our brains have evolved us to pay attention to because we perceive things that are threatening, or confusing, which i.e. means potentially threatening as things that we should like pay extra attention to. But I don't know that that's like satisfying, you know, from like an aesthetic humanist perspective. Yeah, I mean, cringe is at least like seemingly useful in that it like has establishes like boundaries that maybe can be broken or tested at least. Yeah. Um, like I I, just, think, I I think movies being more cringe would probably be like a play that the that the film industry could take, but I also don't know if I would see that and be like, this is an improvement, you know. <laughs> I mean, probably the movie that like exemplifies that direction for the film industry is Annette, which <laughs> is a notable movie of last year that um even out me Keaton likes likes more than I do, but that I have um like you know, I, I like some aspects of a lot. Um, but it's like, you know, it's a movie, a musical with stars in it, Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard that most people like can't. My mom actually watched the entire thing because we nominated it for the Film Fun Awards. But um, that like most, I think, normal moviegoers kind of can't understand, but that at least gets a reaction out of people that feels... Um, like media enough to mm-hmm. be real um, as opposed to like people walking out of, I don't know, whatever blockbuster last year and then and kind of a, approving of it, but not having an opinion. I mean, another thing that I think about as a difficulty is, and, and me and Keaton have talked a lot about this, is like the portrayal of, and probably me and you too, like, but the, the portrayal of phones and digital technologies in film and <laughs> how that just it really closed a lot of narrative possibilities yeah right. um part of the reason that so much is just 
like set in the past unnecessarily so now i mean i think one of the only movies i think that did like a great job discussing like influencer culture and instagram in the 2010s was ingrid goes west Mm -hmm. it's just the way that like elizabeth olsen reading out the captions and verbalizing the emojis yeah it's just so spot on actually i was like oh this is this is the way to do it you know right right personal shopper is like one of our favorite like that's also very good i agree smartphone technology just like really just like filming the screen and then like it's also like comes down to like Kristen stewart's performance of like she like sends like a risky text and then like runs away yeah yeah, yeah. like like (laughs) i've definitely done that where it's like what are you running from yeah personal shopper is kind of like the only movie that's ever contemplated an erotic relationship with your phone right maybe not i think it it also clocks something about how social media feels like haunted yeah Mm -hmm. like because it's like ghostly you know, there are there are these interactions you have and you're like, is this a person? Is it the person they say they are? Like, it's, well, it's just messages coming from the ether, you know, um, which is very kind of classic occult horror, um, you know, kind of theme. But now it's just daily life. But yeah, Personal Shopper was good because they really just took that sentiment and like turned it up to 11, you know? Yeah, I mean something i don't know if this is a segue but it it feels like one of the last um strongholds in movies and a genre that like continually kind of like has some power is horror um i mean Mm -hmm. like i don't think keaton and i think we, we don't like horror movies as much as we used to i wouldn't say but um and maybe that's because it ha- it preserves some kind of like mystery and ability to like think. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of surprised there's not more social media horror movies. You know? Yeah, I mean, it was like such an easy pitch, like a movie called like Killer Content. Yeah, and that's I guess that's also like our our friend Eugene Kolcherenko's movie Spree is like right. on that on that on that train as well. Um, but I, I'm kind of surprised we don't see it more actually. I mean, it was the sentiment of the ring, right? Really. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, totally. Which media horror? <laughs> In retrospect, it's really charming how some movies kind of like tiptoed into like looking at computers and stuff. Like when you go back and watch Closer now, like the amount of mm-hmm. time that Julia Roberts and Jude Law are like spend like the amount of frames that are just them kind of staring at their computer screens is kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the holiday. It's like the meme of um, Chris Jenner, like, like kind of being like surprised by whatever's on her computer screen. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like pre mobile, it was easier, you know, like there were so many movies in the nineties and two thousands, like the holiday or you've got mail or hackers that were about, computers um but there was something about like sitting at the terminal that made it discreet and easy to handle in a narrative structure mm-hmm. that the the daily experience of like constant distraction by your phone and notifications it's too incoherent to put into a like a narrative device yeah right. do you know what i mean <laughs> it's like it's like you're doing one thing and then 
there's other stuff happening at the same time, you know, because the like because the actual experience of using a phone is like you're talking with your friends and someone else is texting and you're getting like a work email and responding to it. Um, like, and that's not a really important question. <laughs> what? Do the Avengers have phone numbers that phone is on? <laughs> I mean, are yeah. All, are they all in each other's phones? Are they imagine. in a group chat? I don't know. Which Avengers are you talking about? probably have to use about? WhatsApp because some of them are in different like space zones. And... So they use WhatsApp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> WhatsApp in the Avengers universe is interdimensional. Um, but yeah, right. who, who has the group chat muted and who participates? That's my question. Right. I don't know. You tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know who's in the Avengers. Well, the new Batman doesn't talk to anybody. All right. Yeah, Batman doesn't have a phone. Batman has like a flip phone. Yeah. Or a rotary phone. <laughs> a rotary. No, I could see he has like doesn't Alfred or like the the um, he has like a burner. He definitely has a burner. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like a bodega phone. Yeah, he's got a bodega. He's got a track phone. <laughs> <laughs> or Metro PCS or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how Bruce Wayne gets caught and uh doxxed. <laughs> Someone catches Bruce Wayne shopping at Metro PCS and they're like, something is not right here. Why is this billionaire shopping at Metro PCS? <laughs> Crazy production decision about the new Batman is to put Bruce Wayne's tower in the middle of the city. Yeah. Everybody see his car going in and out. <laughs> I, was- you know, I really like the club in the Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I went I went to see it with with my friend Anna and she she lived for a long time in Berlin and it, it just got me thinking about how there's not any good clubs in America anymore yeah like that... they just, just aren't big I mean I, Bergheim is special obviously but there's just nothing like that in the U.S. at all yeah someone asked me recently when they were visiting LA they're like what are the best clubs and I was like oh I don't go to clubs here like are there even the, good? Of, like, yeah. I'm gonna go to Bootsy Bellows or something fuck that <laughs> What about right. Casa de Tempo? Club, oh, the the gay Mexican club? Yeah, what's that place called? Tempo. Uh, club Tempo? Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I haven't gone since before COVID. Yeah. But, uh... It's like the club in Batman. That's not really, it's not really a club. You know, it's like a bar with, like, a small dance floor. Yeah. That and, like, is, a roof deck. Um, I just feel like the spaces of <laughs> nightlife in the U.S. are very small. Sorry. Go, Mike. Oh. I, I was. I feel like the club in Batman and Simulate, the coffee shop from the Matrix Resurrections, are the two like, like Simulate. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I couldn't finish it. The the new Matrix movie was too boring. But that's they're, they're that's. Very, like, I hate that and love that. Virtual spaces. The Matrix, <laughs> the Matrix Resurrections notably won a new category at the Film Fun Awards this year called ketamine <laughs> that's true i i feel like we talk a lot about things that are very ketamine right like well, this year's oscars were very ketamine yeah very sideways <laughs> yeah like what um 
Yeah. Well, Mike and I were like defining what makes like a Coke movie. And then we also, then we're like, well, what makes a ketamine movie? And like thinking back to like the sweetest thing kind of That's a Coke movie. movie. It's just like, oh, I think movies are just ketamine. I, I think the sweetest thing is a Coke movie. Sure. Yeah, you're right. But I just feel like the whole like, the road trip elements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coke has to, as an aesthetic, I, we kind of determine has to do with like brightness and abrasiveness. Which, yeah. Like they break up a wedding and they're wearing those weird dresses because like yeah, the toilet explodes on them. Yeah. Comedy in the um, 80s, like John Belushi style is like kind of the apotheosis of coke i would say but all of right. that like i think jerry Maguire, i think is like the most coke movie of all time yeah oh yeah that that's very true Show me the money. yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah but i don't know what what was like uh um fuck i'm, I'm forgetting the name what was oprah a uh, wrinkle in time that was ketamine movie oh yeah where reese when uh reese witherspoon became lettuce <laughs> That was so ketamine. Oh my god. Yeah. That seems like something else altogether. I think he I think he <laughs> I mean I, I actually went with my friends and we took shrooms before and it was <laughs> we I think we were laughing so loudly that some people left the theater because we were just we were having a real break. We were like, she's lettuce. What is going on with this movie? She's lettuce. I think he's kind of right that movies might be intrinsically ketamine like mm -hmm. like you can imagine <laughs> train arriving at a station playing for people in like right. 1895 or whatever like mm -hmm. their perception of like the famous thing about people thinking it was a real train that was going to hit like drive out of the screen and hit them right like that baseline feels very ketamine but then like hollywood over like the studios over time perfected like the coke formula right. <laughs> now that the studios are dying we're kind of like coke is like flickering in and out but we're kind of getting ketamine back what about the harry potter films i think they were coke yeah they were yeah <laughs> they were yeah they're like there's so many characters and well, I guess that's... Oh, but, but the narrative, is, it drives pretty... There's a mystery, but it's... Because it's a mystery, it has to be kind of coherent, you know? Mm -hmm. I think when you're solving mysteries, it can't get too weird. I also think it's, like, just so closely associated with Thanksgiving. Like, I feel like that's very Coke for some reason. <laughs> Tenet. Tenet, however, very ketamine. Yes. 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 Super. Maybe the most ketamine movie of the last decade. Yeah. I mean, even the I title about is that. just. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let's what what's coming up? What should I be excited to watch soon? Uh, speaking of Coke, um, <laughs> I'm pretty excited about Top Gun Maverick. Oh, yeah, me too. I remember when we we saw that trailer together. What were we seeing? The Star Wars? What are the Star Wars movies? I think it was the last. Yeah, we went to go see Cats together. No, it wasn't Cats because Cats was empty. Also, Academy movie that might maybe that beats Tenet. It might have been the last Star Wars movie because that, that it was the, it was because it was a crowded theater and when we went to see Cats, it was empty. Right. Yeah. And I remember when the trailer came on, the theater really like hushed. Mm -hmm. 
It was, I was like, it's, it's one of the last times I've seen like a trailer. I was like, oh, wow. I'm super excited to see this movie. Yeah. It's very high energy, you know, Paramount is um, like, has such has had like these very public kind of struggles as a studio over the last right. you know few decades or whatever but it's it's when they do things right they really do it right and it's like the trailers cut so deliberately and kind of it feels so crisp um mm-hmm. and like kind of not afraid to be iconic yeah but, no it felt it's so specific you know well also a little bit top gun i don't I don't love the original or anything, but I, I I saw it for the first time during COVID. But I love that it doesn't like there's a um, there's an enemy and there's a conflict, but it's kind of like when you think about it conceptually, it's not really apparent. It's like are they just in training school? Right. Like where's all this action coming from? But I I think that that's what people are really excited about is it's like this very like beyond IMAX scale action movie that has nothing to do with like. You know, like outer space or like different dimensions. Well, I I think superheroes. Yeah, it's like, but, but also like it doesn't look like it's CGI. I think they use planes. It looks really yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, and and this is like just a constant complaint of mine is that as things get more and more CGI, they just feel flatter and flatter and flatter. And I get it's like it's like why I fell asleep during the Black Panther action sequence. It just looks so fake. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's the one other weirdly like early CGI that was like mixed with like robotics and and you know puppetry and all this other stuff that was like physical and real feels more like watching Jurassic Park. Like that CGI feels more real to me than the CGI in like Black Panther. Right. Well, as a you want to talk about another CGI movie that's well, I was about to mention in contrast to the practical effects blockbuster that comes out this year, there's another one avatar 2 that we're very excited about oh i'm kind of excited about it too just because i think avatar is like it's such a weird movie because it made so much money that's simultaneously it feels kind of like forgotten Mm -hmm. like it it, it just feels it feels like it didn't have like it's not like harry potter where like you have like every person on their like hinge profile being like i'm a hufflepuff um i'm a navi (laughs) (laughs) yeah navi core ever like merchandised successfully or something like right yeah yeah but it's but it's interesting because it's it is like a crazy movie um i rewatched it i think maybe a couple years ago um because i met someone who was working on it and she i don't know she just told me some funny things about the avatar like pinterest strategy or something <laughs> in a weird conversation i was just like i'm gonna rewatch that movie i mean it holds just, up you know it's a good movie he everything he does whether you like it or not feels so top down and like he's mm-hmm. kind of there's a great um he's very authoritarian and i think you need to be that to be a great director yeah there's an interview that greta gerwig interviewed quentin tarantino a couple years ago i guess like circa little women um and they she said something about quentin's movies which i thought was true of true at the time and that but she was saying it it kind of guided her filmmaking which is just that like every movie you you make and release should feel like a gift to people that as they you know unwrap it has layers to it Mm -hmm. and 
like a, I think a lot of people who shoot like verite and stuff would totally disagree with this but as far as like studio movies and and our reception of them it's nice to kind of feel that care and like mm -hmm. intentionality to things um like I would say another director who's kind of who kind of feels like that right now is Jordan Peele who mm -hmm. his next movie is coming out this summer nope mm -hmm. um and it feels super like I don't know it's it's like whether you love his movies or not just like the sort of like brand management that's gone into like yeah that coming out yeah I mean I I really liked his first film but but us didn't really do it for me mm -hmm. I think maybe it was even like the music do 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 I kind of prefer us <laughs> really I don't know I just I just I felt like watching the movie felt like watching like a slower trailer Oh, wait, I saw Us in South America and it was in Spanish with no subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, I like that one better. <laughs> it was called Mosotros. Yeah. <laughs> Proper English version, yeah. Yeah, it looked good though. Um, well, another thing about Avatar 2 that's really exciting um, is like at one point, like actually basically for the last like, I don't know, over 10 years like the release of avatar really felt like the furthest possible point that like one could imagine about the film industry and like the idea of arriving is like um hopefully is that like it's something we've like reached a new horizon or something um yeah avatar 2 drops and then it's symbolic the government declares that they've been in contact with an alien species and a bunch of like ufos land the next day or movies just get good again i don't know i i think there's opportunity there i mean a lot of the kind of avatar 2 i think originally was supposed to come out in Six, christmas 2016 and it, in a way it feels like if, if it had come like trump winning has yeah no it's probably good that it got delayed it's like put us on an alternate timeline or something where mm -hmm. like if avatar 2 had come out as originally intended we'd be living in a whole different but world. but i just but i i think that i want to say this like i think that uh some of the like behavioral trends of the 2010s were really hard for film like things like binge watching you know which you see now all the streaming companies are, are going back to like appointment television i think part of it is the success of euphoria and that being kind of a, um, and just HBO Max in general, since they don't do total drops of seasons. No, HBO um, but it 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 does become like this thing where like every Sunday there is like a segment of Twitter that's just endlessly dissecting and memeing Euphoria, and that clearly has been key to um, the series' success and its kind of like cultural relevance. Mm -hmm. And so I think people want that kind of appointment content whether that's a film or a movie um but I, yeah i think i think that 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 idea that like okay we spent <clears throat> the four years during the trump administration just treating politics as pop culture mm -hmm. and the exhaustion with that uh dynamic and this kind of return to like i want something else to talk to my peers about perhaps perhaps film and television <laughs> could be a good thing to to just shoot the shit about seems to be kind of a, a, a vibe right now right 
Yeah. Cheers to that. Yeah, that's what I want. I love I love talking about TV and movies. It's so much more fun. Yeah. I also I think like one interesting thing to think about is like going back to your 9/11 comment about like how that took like a couple of years to like process create like movie worlds. Um uh thinking about like the way that like productions will avoid the reality of the pandemic in like stories and narratives um and just like how that in turn kind of like movies really become every movie sort of becomes like a fantasy movie in a sense mm-hmm. um and i'm just like i don't know where this is going but i'm just like maybe that's going to be like a similar shift um that i don't know yeah like, well i i think more imagination, more fantasy is good. Again, back to the euphoria thing with people being like, Lexi's play is crazy. They don't have budget for that. I'm like, I don't know. I One of the movies I got really into um, during COVID was Get Over It, which is like, there were a lot of movies that were doing kind of like teen remixes of like Shakespearean plays. And that one is about a play within the movie that's Midsummer Night's Dream. And it's very, very you know, Baroque and complex and no one, no one in like 2003, I think when it came out or 1999, I'm, 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 you guys are better at film stats than I am, uh, was thinking, oh yeah, this is what, oh yeah, my high school has like AstroTurf bleachers and a, a high dive in an Olympic swimming pool and, uh, <laughs> and you know, like this like $100,000 drama department budget. <laughs> It, like no, I don't think anyone was like, yeah, that's definitely uh, what high schools look like. It was more like uh, it was about like this kind of like phantasmagoria of like possible reality, hyping everything up, making everything very aesthetic, and that's kind of the 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 fun of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think like the prom scenes and she's all that. Exactly. Like- yeah, like I watched the Netflix remake. He's all that. And their prom scene sucks so hard. Yeah, even no the dance hard. sequence—it's awful. It's so stupid, yeah, um, and it looks so—it's like looks like they're having it in like a church basement or something. I don't—I mm-hmm. don't get the appeal of like trying to be hyper realistic in this way. <laughs> yeah, I only recently realized how fucked up my sense of what high schools look and feel like is because of how everything was filmed in California that we watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think right. like I had seen the high school two miles down the road from where I grew up, but I was still like kind of surprised that it didn't have like indoor outdoor areas and <laughs> Californian architecture. And it's like <laughs> really nice cars. Right. Yeah, why isn't everyone driving a Porsche at my high school? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really I'm a I'm a creature of my era and I still love teen movies. So do it's, we. It's really a lost genre. Like I love teen movies, I love rom coms. Those are clearly like huge um genres in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Right. Not so much anymore. And I find it so sad. But I don't know. What can you do? I think there's a lot of room for rom-coms to come back. I think Euphoria might be opening up more room for for teen movies, too. Right. 
Um, I think uh, part of it though is, and this is kind of a general comment that I've made before, is that when we were growing up, teenagers were young adults. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of like teenagers are old children. <laughs> no, it's You're true. Kidding. Like you think, or you think about she's all that. And part of the plot line is about um, Freddie Prince Jr.'s girlfriend going on spring break and dating someone who's on the real world, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the, I, the idea of a teenager going to spring break and dating a 20s, like a, like an 18-year-old going on spring break and dating like a 20-year-old did not seem like crazy. Right. I feel like today that would feel like people would be like, that's about grooming or something. Uh, whereas like, I think children, or not children, so teenagers had kind of more independence because they had jobs and cars and right. their parents couldn't put trackers on their phones. Or the people like approaching the end of their high school career, like perceive themselves to be like, they're about to be locked into who they are for the rest of their lives rather than like now it's like you're stepping into like another pool of uncertainty for 15 years before mm-hmm. you maybe like cobble enough money together to like, you know, I don't know what you do. Yeah. Buy a house somewhere. No. You buy <laughs> cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. I also, yeah. But, I, but just like the teen movie relies on this idea of teenagers having wholly formed private lives where adults aren't present. Euphoria presents this, but it's also funny that like the criticisms of Euphoria are for presenting this and people thinking this is extremely unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I remember being a teenager and me and Keaton were friends in high school, I did feel like we had kind of this private teenage social life that our parents weren't really privy to. Yeah. Right. Except at the barn dances. <laughs> Except when they were buying us 30 racks. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was like there were parties and people drove around and mm-hmm. mm, yeah, I don't know. Our parents weren't, I mean, we weren't like neglected, but it just, I had dinner with my family, but it wasn't like they knew all the drama. Or they even knew quite what I was doing half the time. Right. Yeah. What's that statistic about how like each successive generation of parents has kept their children within a like 50%? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. No, it's real. Because it's like, I don't know. I remember, I remember walking home from school when I was like, I don't know, like eight or nine. <laughs> and I, I think it's like illegal. Like no one would let like a nine-year-old walk home alone in 2022. Right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a long, it was like probably a 15-minute walk. But I think in, in large parts of America, people think a child being alone walking home for 15 minutes is like they're gonna get murdered. Um yeah, it's kind of, it's definitely kind of sad <clears throat> because I think and, and it's it's an ongoing thing because this is something I talked to my mom about, is her feeling like when she was growing up that children had their own private worlds and were relatively unsupervised, you know? Because she would kind of tell me stories about, you know, spending all summer at the playground and in parks and, uh, you know, in the creek and whatever. And and then, you know, the rule was kind of you had to go home when the streetlights came on and you went home for dinner. 
Right. But parents didn't know what they're, <laughs> they had no idea what their like eight year olds are doing all day. Mm-hmm. And that, and now like parents get arrested for like letting their kids go to the playground alone. It's considered child abuse. I think all these things are very bad for children. Well, using this as an excuse to use the word crick on your podcast. <laughs> it's called a crick. <laughs> Not a creek, crick. it's a crick. We love a crick. We love cricks. Yeah. <laughs> um what other movies is everyone excited for we'll talk about it <laughs> the third two of top gun top gun that's it are you excited for the last like i feel um, like i might be but i can't remember i want to see this um nc17 marilyn monroe movie that's coming out on netflix mm-hmm. um I- they have ratings well yeah that's an interesting thing (laughs) it was so racy that they were compelled to get it rated before they dropped it on i think one of the hard things that movies face also right now is like i don't see trailers anymore right like this is kind of one of those things where i don't know when you used to i don't like i don't watch cable television i use streaming and it used to be that like on cable tv trailers would play yeah and you would know what movies were coming out yeah. And now it's so targeted. And I guess for whatever reason, the algorithm doesn't think I want to know what movies are. So Another, I just don't, I don't see trailers, you know? A line item that like distributors have um, gotten more strategic about where they think they can target exactly the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's probably one of those things that, you know. Right. We, I mean, we love the trailer app. When we have, whenever we're over at each other's houses, we like, Take oh, I know. I've, I've, I've been with you guys and <laughs> playing trailers for two hours. <laughs> More than it's funny because I'll never watch a music video from from start to finish, but I'll watch. You watch lots of trailers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, re, re, I mean, I remember when I went to go see Attack of the Clones in two thousand two. Um, I like they were playing the tra- trailers, and then there was like this long pause over like a black frame right before the movie started and then there's like a single green digit that started to fall down the screen and like I leapt out of my seat because it was like it was the first time I realized there was a Matrix sequel Mm -hmm. um and I was like oh my like just it's there's there would never be that sense of surprise anymore um yeah you don't know that something's coming out until you're like in a theater watching the trailer it's just I guess I think like to sum all this up, it's I I think like the internet has to go away. <laughs> um, well, that's okay. I think a lot of people want a lot of the internet to go away. Yeah, this, I, just, I mean, this is this is like, not. I'm gonna sound like such a Substack show, but part of the reason I think why people like it is that um, it just goes around a lot of the problems from Web two, and it feels like an old version of the internet where like you're going to someone's website and reading what they wrote and there's not there's not a like personal yeah there's not like a paywall I mean some actually sometimes there is a paywall but it's it's not one of these weird things where early it's like pop-ups like a lot of online reading experiences are just awful because all all the crowding ad tech that you can barely read the article on like a newsweek site one of the things we should plug in this podcast is um Gitesh Pandya's box office guru website. Oh, yeah. It's, it's boxofficeguru.com. Mm-hmm. It's like the most beautiful piece of web design that hasn't shifted in 
like 25 years. Right. And he's still writing columns every week. And About box office. Yeah, it's really insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just in my bones know that a lot of the persuasive design stuff that have made people despise the internet are going to go away whether the platforms like it or not just because of consumer preference yeah i mean right i mean i, I can see like a new generation of like youth kind of yeah. against smartphones and they already are but it's like you know, I, I think there's desire. I, I just think no one's come up with the product to meet the desire yet. Or or it's kind of incipient, as I said, with right. certain like certain kind of like subscription economy um, right. things. And and some of that's like also crypto, I don't know, mirror, Patreon. I think all these things are basically things that are being created because people are like, I don't I don't want to have to try to like surf through these weird targeted ads on Instagram and like 50 videos of some bl like blurry party from eight different POVs and just like random snippets of like tags and text. It's just kind of like nothing, you know? Right. 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 I mean, I don't know with movies, like I don't know that there's any possibility of them ever having the kind of cultural prominence that they did even in our youth which was obviously mm -hmm. obviously dwindled dwindled like you know yeah so i mean i guess that's the that's like the darkest path is that movies become like novels yeah i mean in I which think... they're kind of like this niche uh cultural form that's still powerful and important but it just it doesn't capture the imagination of the masses the way it once did but it's interesting that you started this conversation talking about the social network, which is like probably like the one of the most influential movies of the last ten years. Oh yeah, I I rewatched that, and it's it's definitely that, a top top ten movie of the twenty tens, even though it was made in twenty ten. Like that in relationship with the dropout, it's like Amanda Seyfried, who is has always been great. It kind of took her being in a David Fincher movie, Mank, and getting nominated for an Oscar for it to right. get her cast and taken mm -hmm. seriously enough to, to lead a miniseries. Yeah. Maybe that's the way that movies can still work is to be like these sort of, um, you know, cultural gatekeepers around certain things like that. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I mean, like the power- the right role in the right movie can really transform how an actor is perceived. Yeah, yeah. In a way that I think on in television, that's not quite the same case. Right, yeah. right. It's like you come up in TV and then you get cast in a movie based on your performance in TV, but then the, the movie performance is what. Mm -hmm. But now everyone's angling for one of these presti prestige miniseries about grifters. Oh, but it's, okay. you know, it's also fun. It's like clearly like the true crime and the, the grifter Sorry, yeah, we gotta, we gotta get off so we can go write one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's, I just think it's funny that there hasn't been a big grifter movie. Like the Anna Delvey thing went to Netflix, the Elizabeth Holmes thing went to Hulu, on and on. Yeah, that's true. Go write your grifter movie. I'll go see it. All right. 
thank you guys for your time and have a lovely evening in cold, cold New York City. It's actually raining and it's kind of like 65 degrees. Balmy. Jesus, that's that's a that's a 40 degree flip in one week. Awful. No wonder people don't want to go to the movies. <laughs> yeah. Climate change is keeping people at home. Weather is confusing. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye. I love you. Bye. Bye. I love you guys, too. Love you, Sean.